have to be honest with you, I found 2020 a little bit taxing. I don't know how you found it, but um, for me, uh, I found the constant changes that we were having to do, particularly in relation to life here at church, where one week it was one thing and the next week it was another thing and then we were not at all and then we were coming back and online and hybrid and learning a whole bunch of new things and then it all changing one more time. And as the COVID ebbed and flowed through the various parts of our community, we had to just keep adjusting. And I found that tiring. But I was reflecting on this further and I realised that a significant part of my tiredness was the environment of constant fear that we seem to be living in. I'm not particularly scared myself. I mean, I'm careful when I'm out and about and I socially distance with people I don't know are safe and uh, I'm fit and not in a risk category or anything like that. But a lot of people are scared. The lead news item is always about how many infections there have been or indeed if there have been none. And then it's kind of like, well, at least today, there's one more day. We're waiting for the day when it comes and it's going to be back and seemingly just always a matter of waiting for things to go bad again. This environment of fear is quite exhausting, I reckon. It drains the hope and the joy from our world. And I confess I am feeling the need of renewal. So I jumped at the chance to look at this passage from Isaiah because Isaiah is at pains to say that whatever it is that you're looking at, that's the thing that's going to shape most your experience of what's going on. And he wants to tell us to look in a very particular place. Now, most of you know I have two daughters. One of them is in year six and one of them is in year eight. Kay is in her final year of primary. She is top dog at her school. Way is in her second year of high school just starting. I wonder if you can remember your last year in primary school. That'll be easier for some of you. Some of you hadn't got there yet. But um, being in your senior year in primary school, you've kind of been there for a a while. Maybe you've taken on a leadership role in the school of some kind. Uh, Whether you have or you haven't, you're older than most of the other kids. Uh, You know the staff at the school. You know the way the school functions. Uh, You know your way around. And it's pretty straightforward to feel fairly confident in that context. It's not a very big pond, and you're one of the big fish which can make the move to high school a little bit daunting because high schools are generally much bigger schools. And for my kids, they will pay us at a a primary school that has fewer than 40 kids in the whole school. In fact, for most of the time, that's been about 22, 23 kids. So Wei, my eldest, she went from a school of about 25 into a school of about 800 where she was the bottom of the pecking order and didn't know another person in the school or how the school worked or where it was safe to eat your lunch or anything like that. And you go from being a big fish in a little pond to being a little fish in a great big pond. Everything changes when your context or your sense of context changes. And this is what Isaiah wants to bring home to the people of Israel. It may seem like Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, who took the people out into exile, or indeed Persia, the empire that had risen up after that and held on to them, were the most powerful forces in all of creation. These powers seem to be so great. But 
if you take in the scope of human history, they're kind of just little blips on the radar, in a sense. King Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful king. He took a whole nation of Israel into exile, or the upper kingdoms of it, and even his kingdom fell to the next one, which was the Persian Empire that came up. Alexander the Great came sometime after that. Then there was the empires of Rome. We've had kings and popes and movements. They all ebb and flow. Isaiah says, He it is who reduces rulers to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely have their stock taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. Where are you looking? Widen the context in regard to space, not just the little part of the world you live in, but the whole world or indeed the whole of the cosmos. Or indeed widen the context to a duration of time, not just the time that you're living or your generation, but the whole sweep of time. And the most impressive powers and forces of humanity begin to look quite piddly in that broader context. Of course, powerful regimes can still impact us in our present experience, but perspective changes what that means in the longer term, and this is important. See, a lot of things in life are roughly interchangeable. I don't know a lot about cars, but I know when you get your car repaired or serviced, there is an option often to get aftermarket parts, which are exactly the same part, theoretically, but made by a different manufacturer than the manufacturer who made the car originally. And they're cheaper. And some would say they're not as good, but they basically do the same thing. They're roughly interchangeable. Your car will probably go just as well on those parts and you'll save some money. Some people like to keep it all original. Some people like to save money. It's up to you. You might say politics in Australia or indeed many parts of the world, is quite similar. We have two major parties that are roughly, approximately, pretty much the same. In fact, where they're different is really on the margins, on very small issues where they are different in matters of degree rather than anything else. And if you have a very strong political persuasion, you might say that's not so because of this, this and this. But actually, if you look at the vast bulk of what our political parties stand for, Most of it is pretty close to each other. And the differences, as I say, are on the margins. Or indeed, Christian denominations is another example. Since the Reformation, Protestant churches have continued to splinter over ever smaller and less significant issues. It's quite remarkable. One group holds that the optimal time to baptize is when a child is an infant. And another group holds that they should be an adolescent. And we're going to have a big fight about it. Why? It's so insignificant compared to the vast amount of stuff we all agree on, right? But some things are incomparable. Some things are actually vastly different. When it comes to the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of God, there is no like-for-like comparison, not in terms of the scope of power and not in terms, more importantly, of the nature of that power. Because the kingdoms of men are primarily concerned with themselves. They do what they do in order to maintain or enhance their own position of power. Human rulers do not see their subjects, 
primarily as persons. They see them as subjects. The clue is in the name. If you think democracy makes things quite different, I will tell you that changing the system does not change the human heart. Those who are interested in power are not interested in power necessarily for any other reason except that they are interested in power. Yet our God, as the sovereign over all, has repeatedly revealed himself to be entirely for us. Our God holds nothing back. Even when the people turn their back on God's own son, there is grace that opens the heart of God to whosoever should open their heart to God. God's favour toward us is not for a limited time only. This way of God is the way of eternity. See, with human rulers and their self-interest, that kind of dies out when the ruler dies out. Indeed, history has shown us that the extent to which the impact of a ruler lives on is roughly approximate to the impact that they had in terms of giving themselves for the people. The way they kind of mimicked the way that God rules. That's the impact for good that people hold on to. It's roughly equivalent to leadership like God. That's the good impact. If a leader leads self-sacrificially, um, we applaud him or her for that, not least because we the people are among the key beneficiaries of their sacrifice. And if that equation is reversed and a leader sacrifices the good of the people for their own position and power, the opposite assessment is usually made. The leader is remembered in infamy. And time undoes all the spin doctoring as well. The implications and consequences eventually become evident. History is an uncompromising judge. All of us eventually are seen for who we are and what we have done. Unless, of course, we suffer the worst of all possible fates, and that is to never be truly seen for who we really are. Because for all our cleverness in hiding bits of ourselves that we think are unacceptable, what we want more than anything is to be both seen completely and accepted fully for who we actually are. Which brings us to the idea of renewal. See, I think the most depleting experience we can have is when we cannot be who we are. Whether we blame this on some kind of oppressive external force, like I did the fear of the people around me or something like that, or whether we realise our own internal self-censoring is at work, the extent to which we can live the expression of who we are rather than performing who we are supposed to be for someone else is a reliable measure of how well accepted we feel, both by others and our sense of self-acceptance. It takes a lot of energy to moderate our behaviours to fit into someone else's mould. There is real freedom in learning how to live with authenticity and integrity in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Those who wait on the Lord, I put it to you, learn to live with authenticity and integrity. Those who wait for the Lord, wait for one who sees and knows knows us for who we really are. Sees and knows us better than we fully see or know ourselves, I would say. There is a confronting liberation 
that happens in this relationship. We grow in our capacity to see and accept ourselves. And this means we both see the untidy parts of who we are and we allow the grace in which God sees us to transform us. We are not surprised by the messiness of our own humanity. For goodness sake, have you tried to live with me? It's terrible. Ask anyone in my family. And we're not surprised by anyone else's either because you know what? They're just like me and just like you. But neither are we content with that messiness. We are called on by the call of Christ, which lifts us like the updraft lifts the wings of the eagles. Um, my wife and I travelled around India many years ago, 30 years ago, 30-something years ago. Really? Yes, 30-something years ago. And there were some really bizarre paradoxes you, you encounter in India and um, some, some beauty and some ugliness right side by side. And one example of that was the rotting garbage that we observed collecting where these drainage canals, which were a bit like open sewers, would drain out to the main waterways, whether it was a river or a harbour or something like that in the major cities. And this garbage would collect there because the flow would slow down or the the tidal flows, I don't know what did it, but it stank to high heaven. And you'd go past and go, oh, what's that? And then you'd see the, the mound of garbage there. It was rotting and this thing. But you'd then notice that there was eagles spiralling around above it because this rotting garbage produces methane, I presume, that rises up. And these eagles, they just put their wings out and they ride the currents. And you could sit there all day and watch them. It was quite magical. Circles of them just riding the currents up. And it occurred to me as I watched that, I thought, it's kind of like it's all there, you know, in a sense. Um, all the rotten bits of life that, you know, we know are part of who we are and how we get on and stuff. And then this rising above by the invisible updraft that carries us, this gracious lifting unseen power. Because when we wait for the Lord, we are lifted and given strength. Now, you probably don't know this, but I'm about as fit as I've ever been. I currently swim two kilometres three times a week and I walk more than 10,000 steps a day on average And I'm committed to doing this, not so much for myself, but because I have two young daughters and I'm an old dad and I want to live for a while and watch them grow up and participate in their life. So I've got to stay fit, not just for me, but for them. You see, if it was just for me, some mornings I'd wake up and go, I feel a bit off today. I think I won't go. You know, it's just a bit hard. I won't swim, I won't go for my walk, I won't do the thing. But I can't do that because it's not just for me. There's something bigger than me that calls me forth. And I think the strength that Isaiah is referring to is the strength of being called by something bigger than ourselves. It is the lift of participation in eternal purposes. It is the vigour of those who don't grow, grow weary in doing good And they don't grow weary in doing good because doing good is where we taste eternity. In loving and giving ourselves, we participate in both the character and the purposes of God. The things of the kingdom of God have no use-by date. They are eternal. These things are always worth participating in. They're always good. 
They are always worth our effort. And so they call us on, not as a taskmaster would drive us on, but as an empowering inspiration energizes our deepest, most passions and enables us to give ourselves. See, 2020 made me a little weary. The culture of fear crowded my attention, and even me, the, the minister of a church, I somehow got distracted away from God a little bit. Not in my sermons, I, I think I preached all right, but just somewhere inside myself, you know, I just got distracted. As Jesus said so many generations ago, he said, when you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but this is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and in various places there will also be famines. These things are merely the beginnings of birth pangs, the beginning of something new. That's from Mark chapter 13, 7 and 8. You see, stuff happens, right? Stuff always happens. Stuff will always happen. Stuff has always been happening. Our task is to stay focused, to guard our hearts that we might avoid taking our reference points from the immediate surrounds because they will tell us a very different story. We need to look beyond to the one who holds our immediate surrounds in the palm of his hand because we shall not tire when we remember that we are held in the hand of God and called to the purposes of God, to be to the glory of God, which seems only fitting then to sing that song, To God Be the Glory. Let's do that.